Warning, the following message may be offensive to some audiences. These audiences may include, but are not limited to, professing Christians who never read their Bible, sissies, sodomites, men with man buns, those who approve of men with man buns, man bun enablers, white knights for men with man buns, homemakers who have finished Netflix but don't know how to meal plan, and people who refer to their pets as fur babies. Viewer discretion is advised. People are tired of hearing nothing but doom and despair on the radio. The message of Christianity is that salvation is found in Christ alone, and any who reject Christ, therefore, forfeit any hope of salvation, any hope of heaven. The issue is that humanity is in sin, and the wrath of Almighty God is hanging over our heads. They will hear his words, they will not act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment, when the fires of wrath come, they will be consumed and they will perish. God wrapped himself in flesh, condescended, and became a man, died on the cross for sin, was resurrected on the third day, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he sits now to make intercession for us. Jesus is saying there is a group of people who will hear his words, they will act upon them, and when the floods of divine judgment come in that final day, their house will stand. Welcome to Bible Bash, where we aim to equip the saints for the works of ministry by answering the questions you're not allowed to ask. We're your hosts, Harrison Kerrig and Pastor Tim Mullet, and today we seek to answer the age-old question, should those who claim God speaks to them directly be considered false prophets? Now, receiving uh, special words from God has become a very popular idea in, Christian, in the Christian world, especially um, surprisingly so. Uh, and traditionally cessationist denominations such as the SBC. I mean, you can just go on Twitter and and look up different very popular SBC figureheads and hear them regularly say things like, uh, I, I heard from God or God was telling me, these kinds of phrases. And so we felt it was really necessary to start talking about uh, this topic. But Tim, Maybe you could start off by just telling us, you know, why has this become such a big deal? Why has this become so popular, even in groups that traditionally throughout, you know, uh, throughout history have not recognized this as a, as a theological idea that God is still uh, speaking directly to us today? Yeah, well, I think you're probably understating the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, the nature of the problem <laughs> in the way that you've described it, meaning, um, you know, I think at this point right now, when you're talking about groups like the SBC and, and everything else, I think we're, we're at a point right now where the SBC is essentially a charismatic denomination as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have to do an episode is, on them, huh? Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's, it's not, um, it, I mean, it used to be that, um, you know, SBC churches were uh, very uh, concerned about the charismatic movement, but right now we're functionally there's there's functionally no difference between us and the charismatic um, churches, except that uh, you know most SBC churches aren't going to speak in tongues or um, be sl- slaying in anyone in the spirit. But uh, in terms of just uh, the idea of continuing biblical revelation, we we're basically charismatic as far as that goes, and and it's it's pretty it's a pretty uh, comprehensive error that I think that seeps into the the entire denomination at that point and 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 you know i i guess um it's difficult to know how this has happened um i know that um 
if I were to try to ask or try to answer that question, how how has this come about? Uh, there, my mind is kind of pushing me in in a couple different directions all at once, and so uh, because I'm largely coming from a reformed camp, then I can speak to those closest to me theo- theologically and, and and why that's come about in that way. But then uh, there are other influences that are coming from outside that are doing something similar too. So we can try to speak to that as well. But uh, one of the things that's happened with the Together for the Gospel, the Gospel Coalition kind of movement, is that. Uh, there was basically, um, I think, in you know, in the early two thousands, one of the things that happened is that with the creation of the Gospel Coalition, with Together for the Gospel kind of movement, you had a group of guys like Mark Dever and um, Al Moore, C.J. Mahaney. C.J. Mahaney was functionally a Reformed charismatic, and and one of the things that that has happened within the Reformed world is there was basically a ceasefire that was clear, declared on the issue of continuing revelation. It was just one of those things where uh, you had a group of guys who were wanting to unify around the gospel. And then uh, part of that unification, because they were friends with C.J. Mahaney and Sovereign Grace Ministries, uh, one, one of the things that that unity extended to was uh, it extended to the charismatic uh, movement itself. And so within reform circles, you largely had a ceasefire that was declared at that very point to where, you know, the kind of conversations that have happened over the past, you know, decade and a half or so is that this is a secondary issue and let's not divide over it. And one of the things that's happened essentially is that not, not only is it put in the secondary camp that you're not secondary issue kind of thing, it's not, you know, going to lead you to hell. They, they told us. So therefore let's leave it off the table, but functionally you, you, you really weren't even allowed to address the issue. And so when, um, MacArthur came along and caused a big stink with a strange fire uh, conference and everything else. I mean, he's identifying it as a problem, like it's a problem that the reform world is going charismatic. I mean, particularly when, you know, the Western Westminster Confession of Faith, the Second London Baptist of Faith, has a strong statement on the sufficiency of Scripture in their art, first article of the Confession. And so, you know, in order to be reformed and charismatic, that's functionally an oxymoron. And it doesn't really fit any of the confessions. And it's not something that really, it's like a historical novelty, but it's something that um, largely these big groups, you know, big evangelicalism, have basically declared we're not allowed to really talk about. And so for many people, it's just, not not only is it just, hey, well, you, let's consider it a secondary issue, but then if you try to push against it at all, you're considered divisive and hateful and just, you know, cranky and everything else. And so it's, it's almost, you know, considered wrong to step in and say, hey, what are we doing here as far as that goes? And so... There are movement, so essentially that's what's happened within the Reformed world. But then in the uh, broader Christian world, one of the things that's happened is that uh, the vast majority of people really are influenced primarily not by the scripture, but by music when it comes down to it. And so uh, what what's happened essentially is that Christian radio stations are have, have basically set the theological tone for denominations like the SBC. And so, you know, one of the things that's happened is you have groups like Hillsong, um, Bethel, uh, Elevation Church. I mean, these are all, you know, um, grossly charismatic kind of organizations. I mean, they're just, you know, uh, over, they're just, they're charismatics. They're charismatics, but they're, they're, I mean, they're the kind of organizations that are doing, you know, things that just, 
you know, if you just look into these kind of organizations, you'll see them doing absurd things like grave sucking and things like that. Uh, I mean, they are they're, they're just grossly charismatic at that point. But then one of the things that's happened essentially is that um, they've taken over the Christian music scene in a pretty comprehensive way. And so uh, the vast majority of SBC churches are basically playing what's on the radio. And the radio has been taken over by the charismatics, essentially. And so because the radio has been taken over by the charismatics, essentially what happens at the congregational level is that you know all your radio advertisers, you know, on your standard Christian radio stations, they're all charismatics and everything that's played now. I mean, it's just, it, it, at first it was subtle, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago as subtle kind of prosperity, charismatic stuff. But today it's just crass, like, um, crass, prosperity, charismatic garbage that's being played on the radio at, at a, at a pretty, I mean, that's just the standard stuff. I mean, every single song you, you listen to is going to be about victory and it's going to be about, uh, you know, it's, it's going to have a strong prosperity theme, you know, and and everything else. But functionally, the charismatics took over the music, and and you know, we all like the charismatic music, and so fu- fundamentally, I, I think that's why the SBC has gone charismatic. But it shows up at you know basically every single conceivable uh, way imaginable. You have like big name influencers like Beth Moore who regularly. <laughs> talk about hearing directly from God, Christine Kane, you know, all, all these big name people that are influencers within uh, the broader Christian world, they're all charismatics yeah, as, as far as that goes. And and so we're, you know, basically these denominations, these big name denominations are, are more influenced by celebrity Christians who are charismatics than they are about by the Bible. And really, they they don't even understand what, you know the issues really as far as that goes you you basically just have a pop christianity that's functionally uh mystical <laughs> as far as that goes but i think i think those are the two kind of major things that are happening that have led to a situation where i would say the vast majority of christians today are uh unquestioningly charismatic uh as far as that goes mm-hmm. so yeah, I definitely thoughtlessly charismatics. You know, just that's the vernacular that we talk about. You know, that's that's what's happening at a practical level. Yeah, I definitely understated the issue at the beginning. You brought up Beth Moore. I know you and I are both well aware of the video that came out. I don't, it, it must have been what like eight years ago or six years ago now, where Beth Moore is is talking to a bunch of women and she tells a story about how she was at the airport, I think. And she sees, she sees this, I guess, homeless guy at the airport. Yeah. And, and she tells all the women there that God, God specifically told her that she didn't have to share the gospel with him. She just had to go brush his hair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, if, I mean, if you're not, if you're not like, if, if warning bells aren't going off in your head, when you hear something like that, I'm worried for you, you know? Well, but the thing, the thing is, I think that was 2007. Then that came out, but I mean, that's 15 wow. years ago wow. or, or 2007, uh, uh, it's 15 years ago, I think. Uh, but the thing is, you know, their warning bells are not going off in people's head. They, they aren't. <laughs> so, right. Like, I, mean, I mean, there's very few, like there is very few people in the Christian world who, like who like if who who are having any warning bells uh uh go off with beth moore and things like that and she says more absurd th- things than that that's just you mm-hmm. know uh, just 
tip of the iceberg. I mean, she, that's just her thing. You know, her thing is just, you know, hey, girlfriend, you know, this is what I want you to do. God's not, you know, talking to her like a middle age, uh, you know, um, middle age uh white upper class woman, you know, middle, yeah. middle, upper middle class woman, you know, I mean, that's just her thing, you know, that's, um, uh, but I mean, it, that, the, the thing is, it, it, it used to be that if you wanted to, um, you know, basically start a church split, you say anything negative about Beth Moore and you get all the women at the church mad at you and, mm-hmm. you know, you run out of the church. I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that in the vast majority of churches today, that won't happen if you criticize Beth Moore. And so no one seems to think it's a problem. That's, that's the, the reason why is that's just, you know, everyone's listening to the Christian radio and that's what's on there. You know, that's yeah. what the, uh, that's all it is. It's sentimental mysticism. That's all on the radio stations today. And I mean, it's just, uh, in your face, crass, you know, continuationist garbage is what it is. And you're, and you're totally right about what you said earlier in your response, uh, to our first question you brought up, you know, there there are a few people who are willing to say something about this, John MacArthur being probably the primary example. But then the issue is uh, when when these few people say anything at all, ev- the reaction from uh, the rest of the evangelical Christian world is to condemn not the not the people saying the absurd things, but the people calling out the people saying the absurd things. So when well, when John and, MacArthur says, you know, about Beth Moore, go home, everyone says, oh, you, you know, you can't, don't say something like that, you know. <laughs> when it's like, hang on, she's saying, she's saying some wacky stuff. <laughs> she's saying something. I mean, but it's is pastors too. I mean, you know, if functionally most of your standard, you know. Uh, pastors at SBC churches. I mean, they're all mystical and charismatic and they don't even know it. I mean, they don't even know how charismatic they are. I mean, just how many times have you heard a pastor, you know, talk about his vision for the church and, you know, what God's leading us to do and what he's hearing from the Lord. And, you know, every time a pastor leaves a church, what does he say? Well, I feel called to, you know, go to the bigger church who's going to pay me more money and, and everything else. I mean, it's just, I mean, this is the language you speak. I mean, I, I, Harrison, you know, when I've done interviews for churches or, you know, they've, um, you know, called me up and asked me questions about, about, um, you know, explain to me your call to the ministry. I can't tell you how many times I, I just hate answering that question. I absolutely hate answering that question. Describe your call to the ministry. Because what is expected of me in these settings when I'm trying to answer questions along those lines is for me to basically tell some mystical, quasi-charismatic story about how God, you know, in some way that wasn't audible, uh, basically told me short of words, but through my feelings or um, through circumstances or whatever else that he that not only was I commanded by him to be a pastor, but that, you know, somehow there's some sort of uh, guarantee that. You know, I'm going to get some full-time ministry job somewhere. And, you know, most of the time what they actually want to hear is me to stand before them and say, yes, I believe that you would be in sin if you didn't hire me as your pastor because God's told me. Essentially, I mean, not, I mean, I mean, that's what, you know, that's what basically every, you know, almost every, you know, pastor in churches in America, when they go to, you know, interview for a church, they're basically just telling people that essentially, you know, if you, if you read through the subtext, you better hire me or else you're in sin because God's <laughs> given me, 
you know, this strong confirmation, you know, in so many ways that, you know, he has knit my heart together with this church and given me such confidence that this is exactly where he wants me to be. But all that's just a direct claim for revelate for, for direct divine revelation. And so, you know, when there's some major decision to be made, you know, the pastor is sensing where the Lord is leading him and everything else. And, 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 you know, it, these are functional claims of revelation and this is what all the pastors are doing, you know? And if you don't do that, they think, Oh man, like this guy is like, Ooh, you know, like, uh, so let me get this straight. God isn't telling you that you were commanded to be our pastor. Well, I'm nervous about you. You know, it's like, it's <laughs> Meanwhile, like, well, five it's other all... pastors have already interviewed yep. for the same job and all said that God wanted them there. <laughs> I know. And it's just like, well, which one of you guys is getting stoned and which one? <laughs> all right. We got a rock collection here and uh, let's, uh, all right. All right, we're going to hire this one, and you guys are all false prophets, apparently, you know. But, I mean, no one thinks in those terms. I mean, no one's thinking along those lines. Right. But, I mean, it's, it, it's like that's – I mean, that's just standard. If you don't play that game, then w- what happens is, you know, if you don't play that game, people think you're not very spiritual, for one. And then they don't trust, like, the decisions you're leading them to do because it doesn't feel like, you know, you're – Sensing what God, like what they want to hear is some sort of claim to direct divine revelation so that everyone can be comfortable and just, okay, well, I guess that means if the thing's from the Lord, like, you know, who are we to disagree? And everyone can just chalk it up to, you know, well, God told them, you know, uh, but, but I mean, you know, functionally, if you don't do that, everyone's suspicious of you. But then if you do that, I mean, you're a scoundrel and you're a liar because you know that God didn't say that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's the problem. But so, I mean, it's not just Beth Moore. It's just, I mean, that's just the standard, you know. The, the situation, you know, across the board with um, with all pastors when it comes to decision making and things like that. It's just it's a bunch of mystical garbage. So as we continue this conversation, it might be helpful just if we uh, define uh, some of these terms that we're using just to make I think most people probably will pick up on what exactly we mean. But just in case there are some people who might still be confused Tim, uh, could you just take a minute and and define what we mean when we're when we're talking about God speaking directly to people? Uh, what exactly what exactly do we mean? What all falls under that umbrella? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I guess the two major terms that are that we're talking about when we're talking about this kind of discussion is are, are the terms uh, cessationism and continuationism. And so cessationism is the belief that God, uh, God's word essentially is complete and it's sufficient. And so we, we have in the, you know, 66 books of the Bible, we have a completed canon. God said all the things that he needed to say, and we have everything we need now for life and godliness in the scriptures. And, yeah, you know, from a cessationist kind of position, there's no expectation of any additional direct divine revelation from God. Meaning, uh, his revelation to man is complete in what we have today is the the Bible. You know, with the addition of the New Testament scriptures, God's finished speaking. Uh, now, the continuationist position is essentially the opposite of that, which is basically just saying that God will continue to speak to people through dreams or through visions or through, you know, direct uh, verbal revelation or, you know, most often it's through their feelings, essentially. And so uh, one of the things that's happened that that um, really what distinguishes most like 
formal charismatic denominations and, you know, your um, uh, functionally charismatic denominations like the SBC now and things like that, uh, what basically distinguishes these two things is that in your, you know, your standard straight up uh, Benny Hinn charismatic movement kind of stuff, there is some expectation that people are going to say, thus says the Lord, and then they're going to tell you, hey, God, I have a word for you very specifically, and they're going to say, God told me to tell you X or Y or Z or something like that, right? So that's kind of old school charismatic. Um, that's the old school charismatic kind of way of communicating that, I mean, you'd find that in your, you know, your Hillsong and your Bethel and your, um, you know, your big, you know, Church of the Highlands, uh, mega church kind of charismatic stuff. But in your old school charismatic stuff, you're going to have that uh, up until like speaking in tongues. So, you know, Babel that uh, is um, not really language, just Babel that is being equated with direct divine revelation where someone may or may not interpret it, you know, that kind of thing. But what hap- what's happened in more of the mainstream uh, SBC kind of world is essentially you, you, there's not as much of an expectation as direct divine revelation like that but there is going to be uh, essentially um, equal kind of claims to direct divine revelation in that a person going to be like I feel like God is telling me X and that's going to be some sort of um, they're going to discern that somehow through you know the promptings of the Holy Spirit or the whisperings of the Holy Spirit in their heart or you know uh, the um, chord progression in the songs or your indigestion or something else. But it's, it's going to be kind of quasi-verbal, like uh, you'll have people basically talk about, you know, it, it wasn't quite audible, but I know it's what he wants me to, you know, hear from this or that, uh, you know, favorable circumstances or their mood or whatever else it is, if that makes sense. And so, but it, it essentially in your mainstream uh, Christian world, you're going to have some sort of appeal to some sort of extra biblical revelation that is discerned apart from reading the Bible, but then through, you know, promptings or feelings or, you know, subjective circumstances or situations. Uh, but that's more your, your mainstream kind of um, SBC charismatic uh, stuff that's happening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you have any follow up on that? Yeah. So um, do things like uh, dreams fall into this category as well? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think in your mostly in your mainstream charismatic movement, you're going to still have people talking about dreams and visions and power encounters and, you know, um, that kind of stuff or the speaking in tongues or um, just direct verbal, you know, you, you know, your crass prosperity preachers who are talking about God just, you know, talking to them while they're shaving kind of stuff. So all the dreams and visions, I would say that's largely the, you know, the charismatic territory still but then in the sbc world uh in your mainstream evangelical christian world it's going to be more just through sensing and feeling and you know god uh still small voice kind of stuff like uh so it won't be verbal or i I don't i don't know that many sbc people are going to be talking about dreams and visions and that kind of stuff but they're going to more talk about the quasi almost as you know it's almost as if god spoke but didn't quite but we should treat it as if he did kind of stuff if that makes sense yeah yeah okay and and the other the other term that i wanted to ask you to define for our listeners is um if you could just take a minute and um maybe fill out people's idea of of what a false prophet is and and what exactly you know 
the Bible would consider to be a false prophet? Yeah, sure. So I, I think part of what's happened with the charismatic movement and the rise of the charismatic movement and the rise of just like uh, the Gospel Coalition um, and um, T4G and all that, uh, you know, the the idea of a um, reformed charismatic has kind of been mainstreamed, and part of that's been done through a guy, a guy named Rick, Wayne Grudem, and so he's kind of the theologian for that charismatic movement as far as that goes uh but then he he came up with this idea of fallible prophecy essentially where when you um trying to distinguish old testament like what false prophet is in the old testament versus what is prophecy in the new testament and so he, he invented this concept of fallible prophecy saying this essentially uh different but the, the problem is I, I think as you read through the scriptures one of the things that you're going to find is there's two major tests of uh of of the false prophet in the Old Testament, okay? So the two passages I'm thinking about are Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, essentially. So Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 22 basically gives you part of this definition of a false prophet, and then Deuteronomy 13 gives you another part of it. So Deuteronomy 13, 1 through uh, 3. Uh, but essentially, I'll start with Deuteronomy 18. It says, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I'll put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all I have commanded him and whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak in my name I myself will require it of him now I mean it's this amazing passage because essentially uh, God is promising that you know he, he raises up Moses and it, basically he's not done with revelation with Moses but Moses is kind of your stereotypical Old Testament prophet as far as that goes um, you know I got it, Moses is basically uh, if you know the um, uh, type, of, the archetype of a prophet in the Old Testament, essentially. But God's going to have other prophets that He's going to raise up, and they all kind of follow a similar formula. But then, um, basically, God says, "Who you know, He's going to raise up more prophets like Moses." Okay, and whoever doesn't listen to my words that I speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Meaning, like you better when I raise up a prophet, you better listen to him, right? Uh, but then verse 20 says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word my name I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So basically you, you have a, um, a a pretty serious situation here, right? So God says, I'm going to send you a prophet like Moses, and you better listen to him. And if you don't, I'm going to require it of you. Meaning, like if you don't listen to this prophet, you're disobeying me, right? Uh, but then the prophet, though, that presumes to speak in my name, it, who I didn't command to to be a prophet, that prophet's going to die. So this is like pretty harsh terms either way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, but then the thing is, uh, God knows that like, I, I, so think about it this way. Like you have a prophet person comes to you and says, hey, that says the Lord. They're making a claim of divine authority. They're basically saying, you better do what I'm saying or you're in sin and God's going to judge you. That's a pretty significant thing. But then in the Old Testament, there's a pretty significant penalty for, you know, messing that up, right? Uh, but then, um, there's a very natural question that's asked in verse 21 of 18. It says, if, if you say in your heart, how will we know the word the Lord has not spoken? I mean, that's the kind of question I have, right? So yeah, if someone's going to yeah. run around and say, I'm speaking for God. I want to know, well, how do I know if that's from God or, if, you know, that's just his indigestion, right? Uh, is that uh, from God or are they just on drugs, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how do we know? How do we know? Right? Because, you know, that's a pretty significant claim that's, that's being made. So it says, uh, how will we know? Well, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, 
That is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Uh, so, like, here's the thing. Like, um, God says, if uh, a prophet presumes to speak a word in my name I've not commanded him to speak or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet will die. Here's the thing. So, there's a one-strike-you're-out policy in the Old Covenant. If you presume to speak a word and it does not come to pass, the, you know, the Old Covenant command was to kill that prophet, and for good reason, Right? Mm-hmm. For good reason, uh, because there's no you know greater way to cause chaos among God's people than to run around claiming to speak for God, divine authoritative words that people are commanded to obey, or else God will judge them. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no other way to uh, no other way to but to cause chaos than to do that. And so there's a one strike you're out policy. So basically, you know you have you think about all the charismatic movement and all these uh, you know people who are predicting the Lord's return. They predicted it four times now. <laughs> Five times now, <laughs> you know, if they were living under the old covenant, they'd be put to death, and for good reason. Now, now I mean, so the first test there is, you know, is there a hundred percent accuracy to the prophet's words? Hundred percent accuracy. There's no toleration or margin for error at all. If if they're going to say that the Lord spoke it something, it better come to pass, or or else they're to be put to death, right? Um, but then the problem though is that you know Satan does counterfeit miracles as well, right? Uh, and so, um, you know, when Moses is sent as the prophet to God's people, um, you know, a lot of the signs that Moses performs, he's sent to perform, the Egyptian magicians were able to do because there are other supernatural powers in the world besides God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Deuteronomy 13 says, if a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises from among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and that sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, right? Comes to pass. So if it comes true and it, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. So here's the thing. there's uh, In the Old Covenant, there's two tests for a false prophet. One, is it 100% accuracy? Did it come, pa- come to pass? And then two, you know, even if it does come to pass, are they leading you to serve other gods? Are they contradicting you know God's written words in any way? If so, like that prophet, um, you're, you're being tested by the Lord. And so there's two um, tests there within the Old Covenant. And I would say that, you know, re- related to the modern charismatic movement, the problem is that we have these two tests in the Old Testament, and I don't see any reason why we, like, if we were to just follow the, these tests, then the charismatic movement essentially would be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, like a, kind of a death blow. <laughs> So, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it would, you know, it, you wouldn't have this, uh, you know, ridiculous situation that we're living under right now where everyone's just claiming, you know, all these words from the Lord, you know, on a regular basis and trivializing the thing to where it's just absolute chaos. You know, if we if we realize how serious this actually is to claim to speak in the name of the Lord and, and you know, and I'm not talking, again, we're not talking about some sort of vigilante justice or something like that. Uh, I'm just we're we're talking about though if if you lived in a Christian society where um, that was actually considered uh, a um, a punishable offense in that way you would have a lot less false prophets you know but even if the church used its power of excommunication to start excommunicating people who are uh, claiming to speak in the name uh, in the name of the Lord words that are not true uh, we would you know we we could clean up the radio stations we could clean up our churches if we would just you know, follow what God says there. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious to look around and see that we don't exactly, exactly, you know, treat 
prophecy the same way the Israelites in the Old Testament would have. Is that safe to say, Tim? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, with I mean, that, no one bats an eye at it, really. I mean, I, I don't right. know. I mean, unless you just get really weird, you know, like the only time someone really is going to like get offended about it is if like you're in a scenario where what you're being told is different from what you want to do mm-hmm. <laughs> in some substantial way, you know. So, you know, the guy goes up to the girl or something like that and it says, the Lord is just telling me that you're to be my next wife, you know. And she's <laughs> like, well, you know, unfortunately, the Lord's telling me that. <laughs> it seems I was we have an impact through the Ouija ball, you know, <laughs> for the through the Ouija ball that I was supposed to marry this other dude, you know, and that's not you. That wasn't the name that came up. So what do we do? You know? Yeah. But, uh, now, yeah. So like, like I was saying, we and then, at that point, then it's like, oh, hey, you know, we're all cessationists at that point, you know, but but uh, but if it's something you want to hear, then <laughs> actually it's you're all charismatics all day long, you know. So um, like, like I was saying. You know, obviously, we don't really treat we don't really treat prophecy the same way the Israelites in the Old Testament would have. So, kind of turning us back to the title question of the episode: Do you think we should be treating prophecy the same way the old the Old Testament Israelites would have? Meaning, you know, do you think uh, we should treat the people who claim that they're receiving, you know, a special private word? from God that we should treat them as false prophets? I mean, absolutely. I I think we should. Um, I understand how when, you know, you're in a, you know, judges kind of situation where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes and, and you, you have such a long history of um, years and years and years and all your major evangelical figures who are functionally charismatics in certain ways. I, I understand how that sounds kind of shocking to say, but I mean, obviously, if you're just reading the Bible and you're saying, hey, I'm going to think about prophecy the way God talks about it within his word, then if we would just do what the Bible says, we would clean everything up pretty good, you know, as far as that goes. And so, I mean, I, I think part of the problem is that, you know, for, for most people who are doing the Beth Moore kind of thing or, you know, Hey, I think God's telling me this, or I think God's telling me that. Often, it, it's like you can't really tell um, with the person. You know, are they making a claim to direct divine revelation, or is this just kind of a you know horribly uncareful uh, way of communicating uh, sanctified wisdom or something along those lines you know so like what is actually being communicated here uh in terms of you know you just have the person standing there and just saying yeah i just feel like god wants me to you know take the job you know feel like god uh is telling me to take the job or whatever you know what's what happened there uh you know and and often i'm i'm the kind of person who in that kind of situation i'm gonna look at the person and saying hey are you are you saying that god told you audibly in some way to take the job you know oh no 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 uh, are you telling me then that like somehow he told you through your feelings that you should take the job and then once they get you know um catch on that i'm pushing back against it a little, then it gets a lot fuzzier as far as that goes but um generally no i think it would be wonderful if if um if um we could regain a cessationist kind of theology and all of us start actively 
you know, pushing back against this a lot stronger than what we do and actually saying, hey, you know, um, start dis- using biblical words for the kind of people who are doing this very thing, you know, and, mm-hmm. and one of those biblical words is to start calling people false prophets. I think that would be entirely helpful um, if we would be encouraging people to repent of being false prophets you know, at this point. Uh, it would certainly draw the lines more clearly and uh, as far as that goes, sure. Um, now, obviously, this kind of movement, uh, you know, this kind of charismatic movement is very popular, right? And right. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be popular if people weren't, you know, fixated on it for some reason, if they weren't uh, drawn to it for some reason. So I'm, I'm wondering, Tim, um, why exactly what what exactly is it about this kind of idea that God still speaks to us today is so enticing for so many people, um, you know, that that we would basically be willing to completely overlook uh, how the Bible uh, treats prophecy Whoa. in general. Well, the issue is no one's overlooking what the Bible um <laughs> no one's overlooking what the Bible talks about with prophecy. They have no idea what it says. <laughs> so it's like, like, they're not they're overlooking. So overlooking. They're just not even looking. <laughs> they're not even looking, man. Like that's the whole thing. I mean, like the, the whole problem is the reason why, I mean, in order to try to answer your question, I mean, like the thing is this has gained such popularity is because no one reads the Bible. <laughs> like the, the, why would you ever read the Bible? Why would you read the Bible if if God will just talk to you through your feelings, right? So I mean that's the whole thing. Like that, like the, the whole pull, the whole draw of this thing, the whole thing that that encourages people to like, to to approach it, it. This is a different religion. It's it's not even the same religion. We're not we're not even approaching the life in a, in the same way. I mean, I, Harrison, I'm the kind of person who thinks to myself. You know, if I want to know what God says about something, I'm the kind of person who will read through the whole Bible to try to ask, what has he said at every passage about this topic? Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what I do. I mean, I've, I've like, there's been questions I've asked. It's like, what does God say about, you know, who to marry, for instance, or something like that when I was single? And I read through the New Testament, and I read through the Old Testament, and I read through the New Testament multiple times, and I made a list of all the things that addressed marriage. Just for just just to find out what it said about that topic in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and I've just read through it and then made a list of things and then made observations after that. Now, if you're a charismatic, you know, or if you're just a popular Christian person who gets your theology from Beth Moore or something like that, there's no reason to do any of that. Why in the world would you do any of that, right? That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so, like the vast majority of like Christians today, you know, professing Christians today, they're not reading their Bibles. Like they're just listening to you know their feelings or their intuition, or they're listening to, like um, they're following their heart. You know, they're doing the Disney thing. You know, uh, and essentially what happens is, you know, God seems to always be telling them to do exactly what they want to do, anyways. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, but then if you say, hey, you know that maybe that's not God speaking, maybe that's just. Uh, you know, you, um, like that, that may just be that that sounds like you just are saying God's saying exactly what you want to say, you know, then it's just like you've challenged their entire Christianity at that point because their entire Christianity is built on mysticism. 
And so, I mean, and that, and that's the thing. It's just like, this is a very, I mean, it's, it's a very attractive thing, right? I mean, it's very attractive kind of, uh, view of God in general. Like if you just talk about, well, what's the draw? Well, the draw is you don't ever have to read your Bible and you can get direct access from God whenever you want through your feelings. And then conveniently, it, there's no way to like push against it in any way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like unfalsifiable. So it's just like, Hey, God wants you to marry me. Right. <laughs> if you're the guy saying God wants you to marry me, you know, it's just like, well, if you don't do it, you're disobeying God. Right. So I always get what I want in that system. And then God always tells me what I want him to tell me. Right. And and like, that's the way it works. And, and then it takes all the work out of it and it takes all the actual study out of it, everything else. And so part of it's that uh, part of it's just, um, that, you know, the vast majority of Christians, I do, I really do think that they, they care much more about, uh, what popular Christian musicians say than like, or whatever the famous celebrities say than their pastors or, uh, you know, reading of scripture themselves. I, I think that most people, they just, they've never really, they don't even know how to go to the Bible and read it and get observations from it. And that's not something that no, they're normally doing. They're just taking their cues about what God wants them to do from popular Christian celebrities as far as, far as that goes. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, is that, um, yeah, I, what you're saying. I think that answers a large majority of it. And I think you're probably right with, you know, if I had to guess, probably 99.5% of all people, you know, who who think this way about God still speaking, it probably realistically is, it just it does just boil down to, they probably don't really value reading or studying the Bible the way that they should. And so what happens then is, you know, inevitably, you're not going to really know anything that that uh, it says, right? If you, it's not surprising that if you don't ever read it, you're not going to know what it says. And so that probably applies to the majority of people. I do still have a question, though, um, um, about that other, you know, 0.5%. And these aren't necessarily, you know, accurate, uh, precise numbers. I went and polled everyone who was charismatic um about why i think you're you know despite the fact that uh, 99 of all statistics are made up on the spot including that one <laughs> i think your numbers are probably right <laughs> so. I, m- I might even i might even be being a little generous with my numbers yeah, probably you so. know i think um, yeah but yeah in that na- neighborhood yeah sure but there are still people who come to my mind that don't necessarily strike me as the type who just don't know their Bible very well. So um, I, I know earlier you had, you had brought up uh, Wayne Grudem. Another guy that I think of is uh, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, who, I, who I think you've, you've, uh, you know him. I mean, not personally, knock but you, you, you recognize, <laughs> knock him down, you, you recognize that name. You know who that is. Um, they, you know, they don't strike me as the type of people who are necessarily, ignorant when it comes to the scriptures when it meaning like they don't study their bible right they don't read it um so well (laughs) what what is do you do you disagree well i would put put grudem and michael brown in two very different categories i think there's been a movement that's like tried to mainstream michael brown but there is no there's no heretic that michael michael brown is essentially the uh, apologist for all charismatics out there. Uh, and now the, the thing about Michael Brown is he's like, he's a Hebrew scholar. And so like, I think he's, 
he knows Hebrew better than I'll ever know it. Sure. You know, as far as that goes, mm-hmm. but there's no like notorious heretic out there that Michael Brown has not defended and enabled in certain ways or anything. And so I, he's a guy that you don't want to go to like it is discernment wise for anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't, you know, uh, send my dog to him to get discernment tips you know, <laughs> as far as that goes, which I wouldn't have, you know, because I'm not the, uh, um, I don't have a vested interest in naming my food, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think him and Grudem are, are in, um, very different, uh, classes of people. I mean, they used to refer to, you know, Michael Brown as knock him down Brown in in the revivals cause he used to knock people down, you know, as far as that goes. So, so, but I, I think, um, he's he's the kind of guy who you know has never met a false prophet or charlatan that he doesn't like and <laughs> say he has zero discernment you know as far as that goes but um uh so but with someone like grudem i think one of the things that's happened um that, um what you're right you're right in terms of the the statistics of things okay so, I mean, the vast majority of my people I know are basically just, you know, Christ, like they're getting their theology from Christian celebrities. That's what they're doing. Okay. Right. right. And so I mean, the vast majority of them are, you know, they're not reading their Bible on their own. They'd never even thought about these issues. They don't even know that there's an issue here to be discussed. They're not approaching it from some sort of academic like lens of trying to, you know, determine the difference between um, cessationism and, uh, and, um, continuationism or anything else. They don't even know what those words mean. They don't know what we're talking about. They're basically just reading, you know, Jesus calling by Sarah Young and the Beth Moore books, you know, uh, they're, you know, um, they're reading the, uh, practicing the presence of God by Henry Blackaby kind of stuff. And they're basically just, you know, all the stuff that all this mystical stuff that their pastors are recommending They're they're reading it without any kind of question. And they've developed basically just this, um, mystical kind of uh god speaks to me directly approach to the christian life and there's like that's what's happening if that makes sense and so uh there are so but what's happened though is with you know the t4g the together for the gospel movement in general one of the things that's happened is like everyone's mainstreaming this um charismatic error essentially is what what's happened and so now you have people coming along who like have some like you have scholars coming along who are basically doing the um dirty work for the charismatic and trying to figure out well how can we you know how can we get these two wor- incompatible worlds to mesh together as far as that goes does that make sense mm-hmm. and so i think at, at that point you have guys like grudem who functionally i mean grudem is not going to be the kind of guy who um is going to be speaking in tongues or anything else. I think he's 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 basically a kind of guy who's just going to be saying, "Hey, you know, like um, I'm trying to figure out how to how God can ha- how to work all these things together." And all my friends now are charismatics, and a lot of my friends are quasi charismatics, and he's trying to think the best of everyone and come up with a way to figure out how to put the pieces together for everyone in a way that makes sense as far as that goes, you know, but those are few and far between. I I think the vast, like the kind of people on the ground level, like basically what happens is the the people who are researching the thing at all are typically the kind of people who are mad at you for telling them that God doesn't speak to them directly. Then they go and they 
like because they have they're now mad at you because you you know but here's how it works right Harrison here's how it works <laughs> but the standard person who who actually looks into this and tries to figure out what they think about it uh, who is going to come out with a like a cessationist kind of position what happened was like their wife had some stupid idea about um, like something that God's telling her. Uh, her directly that you should do as a pastor and then what's happening on the on a practical level is then you know they're like basically going and like um you're basically saying hey you know god didn't tell her that and we're not going to do what she's telling us to do i'm sorry and then they get offended for the sake of their wife and then they go and they read grudem to figure out like why you're wrong you know <laughs> so <laughs> that that's what's happening you know <laughs> so uh as, as far as that goes that's that's the vast majority of people who are yeah who are even thinking about these things. They're, they're, I don't know. I don't know anyone personally who has ever come to some sort of continuationist position, you know, straight up, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Through a careful reading of scripture or anything else. I don't know. I don't know very many people at all. They're either raised in a charismatic church and then, you know, they're trying to figure out how to, uh, sort it out. I mean, the vast majority of people I know who started out as charismatics and who start reading their Bible, they go the other way. You know what I mean? There's, there's no one who's like, like, like they just were raised in a charismatic environment. The more they start reading the Bible and see that it's sufficient, the more they're moving the other way. Uh, but I, I don't know hardly, I don't know anyone who has, um, you know, just studied the scriptures themselves and naturally came up with it on their own as far as that goes. One of the primary pushback, you know, arguments that people are going to give when you have this type of cessationist view like we have when it comes to, you know, does, does God still speak to us is that essentially, you know, we're, we're putting God in a box. We're limiting what God can do, or maybe even, you know, we're essentially saying the Holy spirit doesn't do anything at all. Then if, if God's not speaking to us today, then the Holy Spirit basically has no purpose at that point. So what what's your response to that kind of uh, idea, that kind of pushback that, that they would bring to the table? Yeah, that you're uh, – the, the basic pushback being just that uh, you're putting God in a box or that you're um, – the, the Holy Spirit – well, if if God's not still speaking, then the Holy Spirit's functionally muted. He's not doing anything. Yeah, I was, yeah. I think in general, most people really have um, no understanding of what the Holy Spirit does, other than just the mysticism. Oh essentially. yeah, yeah. And it's really sad. It's really sad. And that's it. I mean, it's just it's like it's either you know it's it's either mysticism or it's um, like that's that's all they got. You know what I mean? So um, it's so I think part of you know, as I've kind of offended people on this subject, and this is, I would say, of all the subjects I've ever offended people on, one of the main subjects I've offended people on is on the charismatic question. Because, I mean, you really, you are, when you push back against this at all, you really are basically um, taking away their Christianity because this is mm-hmm. how they do it, you know? This is it. This is what they got. So, uh, but typically it's just, you know, it, they most people can't conceive that the Holy Spirit has anything to do other than this, which is kind of sad, really, when it comes down to it, because the Holy Spirit has all, all a lot of roles. I mean, so the Holy Spirit's job, uh, God, God says that uh, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. So every time that you read the Bible and you 
see areas in which you fall short of what God says, that's the Holy Spirit, and you feel bad about it, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin, right? The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the words of Scripture. So Jesus says, um, um, you, you know, uh, First John talks about the anointing you received, uh, you know, will guide you into all truth, and and uh, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance my words, take my what's mine, declare it to you. So I mean, the Holy Spirit has this role of bringing to remembrance Scripture. I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where. Uh, the perfect Bible verse comes to mind, and it's the perfect Bible verse actually taken in context <laughs> comes to mind. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> it, it's important, right? Uh, but uh, it's true. I mean, like the, the whole, you know, God will bring their members to scriptures. You, you put the scriptures in your brain, God will bring their members to scriptures. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit's a divine comforter, right? And, and uh, in terms of, uh, he, we, we receive comfort from God, and part of the way. Like if you think about the way the Holy Spirit works, you connect it with the Scripture at every single point. I mean, the Scriptures are the source of comfort to us, um, and the Holy Spirit will bring the Scriptures to remembrance to us. And so, Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, uh, brings to remembrance God's Word. Com- He's a comforter to us. He um, will help us to uh, be conformed to the image of Christ. So, you know, when you're trying to daily fight the battle of, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've I've <laughs> wanted to sin. And a Bible verse will come to my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, for the kind of person who says, like, well, you're saying the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything. It's like, well, I don't know what you're doing in your life. Like, what are you what are you trying to accomplish? Right. And I mean, I think that that's the thing, you know, with the vast majority of charismatics and biblical Christian, biblical Christians are trying to fight sin. And so they see all the ways in which the Holy Spirit is helping them to fight sin in their life, put the death the deeds to the flesh, uh, you know, um, uh, and helping them do war in that kind of way. But then I think for the standard Christian, uh, charismatic Christian, it's all just about victory and overcoming and, you know, having uh, special direct divine words from God to tell them to do exactly what they want to do already. And so we're just engaging in a different thing. You know, one person's trying to be sanctified. The other person's trying to get victory, you know, mm-hmm. in the prosperity sense. And and so then it's just like you take away that still small voice from them. It's like they don't have anything else. It's because, yeah, well, you don't ever read the Bible and, you know, you're not trying to fight sin. So, yep, you don't have anything else. So there's that, right? So mm-hmm. there's that part of it. But then like with the whole, like you're putting God in the box kind of um, objection, silly sort of objection. It's like, I think the simplest response to that kind of thing is just to um, say, hey, you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not putting God in a box. <laughs> He's put himself in one, you know, <laughs> as far as that goes. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 but it's a bit, you know, that doesn't get you very far because that sounds blasphemous or something like that. But yeah. it's just like I didn't put him in the box. He he decided what box he likes, you know. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing. I mean, it's just like you, you think about you think about that kind of objection. There's plenty of things that God can't do, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of things that God can't, like he can't lie, right? He can't swear by a name that's greater than his own. Right, <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, there's things like there are things that are not within his character to do. So God can, you know, God's all powerful. He can do whatever he wills to do, and he'll do anything that's in accordance with his character. And so, like the idea that, like, hey, you're putting him in a box, it's just like, well, God can't lie, and God's not the author of confusion, and God's not gonna, um, you know, God, like you look at the charismatic movie, all you see is confusion there at, at every single point. And so the issue is, is what has he determined to do? He, and he, he can do anything that he's determined to do, obviously. But what has he determined to do? And has he determined to, instead of having his people read their scriptures, 
in order to find his will because he's given them a sufficient word in the scriptures in order to, you know, be a, uh, you know, a light into their feet and a lamp to their path. Has he given them that? Has he determined to, to speak to his people through a book, which is sufficient? Or has he determined basically just to short circuit that process and tell each individual Christian what he wants them to know whenever he wants to know that? And I mean, certainly he can do that, but then it's neither here nor there about whether or not you're putting it in a box. It's like what, like the, the, the issue is what has he revealed that we should expect for him to do? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you know what? If he's revealed that each individual Christian is going to receive direct divine revelation from God you know, whenever they need it, then that's what he's revealed, you, you know? And, and I would be the first to say if that's what we sh- he said he's going to do, we should look for him to do that. But if that's not what he said he's going to do, then, you know, it's re- really, you know, that, well, you're, you know, you're limiting God kind of argument. It's really kind of stupid. It's just like, no, what has he said he's going to do? He's going to be limited by what he says, right? So, you know, he, he might limit himself in terms of you know, what he's ba- based on what he said, right? So, like, and you can, you can make that kind of thing in, um, um, make that kind of case in any ridiculous way you want. I mean, you know, it's just like, Hey, you know, can God make me uh, 20 feet tall? Right. Well, mm-hmm. I guess he could <laughs> if he wanted to. Right. But uh, there, as I read through the Bible, there's nothing in the Bible that says he should do that. So I probably shouldn't expect him to do that. And that isn't limiting him. And that's just to say, you know, we have no experience with him doing that. <laughs> there's no promise that he's going to do that. So you might not want to, you know, trust him to do something that, you know, might, be kind of absurd, you know. Uh, can he make me a hundred foot tall? Sure, you know, but <laughs> is he going to do it? Probably not. Probably right? not. <laughs> like, so, Hasn't done and, it or yet. Is he limited? <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, like to put it in another way, I mean, is he? You know, could God make? You know, uh, could God? You know, basically, uh, is he promising? You know, to give any Christian who asks a million dollars? It's like, well, no. I mean, he didn't promise that. Could he do it? Sure, you know. But if you're saying, well. He's not promised to do that, and we shouldn't expect him to do that. Are you limiting him? Well, I'm not limiting him. I'm just saying, what has he revealed that we should expect for him to do, and what, have, what you know, what what hasn't he revealed? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of a silly uh, proposition. Um, yeah, I I remember. You probably you probably remember this too, but I remember. Well, let me say this first. I'm totally convinced that this type of charismatic movement only builds you know at best extremely weak baby christians and at worst uh deceives people into thinking they're christians when they're really not and what i mean is i remember one time i got a call from a guy who was asking me essentially you know what do i need to do to become a worship leader i'm a worship leader right now and and so he was thinking I would be able to give him some helpful insight into how to become one himself. And unfortunately for him, the conversation didn't really give him anything that he wanted. Um, and the reason was because we, we were just talking and I, I was just kind of getting to know him a little bit and asking him, you know, how, Hey, how did you become a Christian? I, I was just curious. I wanted to know his testimony. And he told me that the way he became a Christian you know, I was expecting some kind of like, hey, you know, my dad, he told me about the gospel. He kept telling me over and over again, or my friend or my pastor, whoever. 
they, I just kept hearing the gospel from someone, and eventually I realized that I needed Jesus to um, be my Savior. I needed to submit to him and put my faith in him. But instead what he said was that one, one day, uh, I think he was in a hotel room, and he overdosed on some you know drug. I don't remember I don't remember what it was, but it was a pretty you know serious one if he was overdosing on it. And this wasn't his first overdose, by the way. This he told me this was like his third um, that year, I think. And and he uh, he told me that when he went to the hospital, he was there for a while, and he remembered one night. Um, he said that he woke up and and Jesus appeared to him, and you know he said that Jesus told him some stuff. Did you ask I him what color was he? <laughs> no, I, I didn't ask him what. <laughs> what did he look I, like? I did he, can he I do a sketch for you? Okay. Like, hey, did oh. you think to pull out your phone and take a picture? Did, did you or something? I kind of would like to know what the guy looks like. What yeah, he look like? I'm you curious, know? but anyway, because he appeared to me the other day, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to see if they match. You know? No, go ahead. Um, but anyways, you know, he he said that Jesus spoke to him. I don't, I don't remember exactly what um, this guy said that that Jesus spoke. But, you know, um, I mean, the story was essentially, hey, Jesus visited me while I was in the hospital. I was near death. And basically, at that moment, I realized that Jesus was real and I needed to be a Christian. And my first, you know, (laughs) maybe maybe I've been, you know, um, I've been tainted by by, uh, what you've taught me, Tim. But my first thought was not you know, to just kind of, Oh, okay. You know, and think, Oh, that's kind of weird, but I'm not going to say anything. Um, my first thought was instead to kind of push back on what he said. And, and I, I just asked him, I was like, so how do you know that was Jesus? And he, he was kind of, you know, caught off guard by my question. And, and, you know, he, he was like, well, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just sure it was Jesus, you know? And, and it became pretty obvious soon fairly quickly that he really didn't actually know that it was jesus he had just wanted it to be jesus and he had convinced himself it was jesus so but then the moment someone challenged that idea he didn't have anything to really prove it with and what ended up happening in that conversation is i mean within 20 minutes of just asking questions and and reading him some some very specific verses you know particularly and and um Hebrews um, chapter one, right at the beginning of the book, um, you know, he immediately was like, well, if that wasn't Jesus, then I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Right. I mean, I mean, his whole faith, quote unquote, was just destroyed by my simple, just, just asking, how do you know it was Jesus, you know? And, and I remember I felt really bad and I, I called you afterwards and I was like, Hey, did I screw up big time? And you're like, no, no, you didn't. You know, um, I think you had basically said, Hey, you know, what would you do if someone asked you, are you sure you're a Christian? You know, I'd be like, well, I mean, I just look back in my life and, and what the Bible says. And it seems I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain, you know, that, God's, uh, God saved me. Right. But then this, this guy's reaction was immediately to just crumple basically. And, and and the reason why, 
Well, the reason why is because the Bible, those who um, follow God because of an experience, they can be talked out of following him because of an experience. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, that's what it's based on. It's based on experience for them instead of revelation, if that makes sense. Yeah. But anyways, keep on going. No, no. I mean, that was the end of the story, essentially. And uh, the the only reason I, I bring it up is just because, you know, this, it was really sad Honestly, maybe some people might hear me tell a story like that and and they think that my I, I get some kind of weird, sick satisfaction out of, you know, ru- to put it lightly, ruining this guy's day. Right. Um, but the reality is, honestly, I was really sad. Now, I wasn't necessarily sad, um, uh, you know, like I regretted saying what I said. I didn't, I I don't regret saying what I said to him, asking the questions I did. What was really sad is knowing that this guy for years at this point, I think three or four years was totally convinced he was a Christian. But then the reality was that he wasn't. And, and who knows what visited him, whether he made it up in his head or, or it was something, you know, demonic or whatever it was, but whatever it was, it was deceptive right and and he had been deceived for years and and if he had died at any point you know before i had that conversation with him he would have gone to hell but he wouldn't have known that he was going to hell un- until it was too late and you know he couldn't change anything at that point and and that's what's really sad about this type of like hey god god can speak to us today it seem it seems like hey we're we're just laughing about it we're joking about it yeah haha beth moore no god didn't tell you to go brush that guy's hair you know whatever this is a serious deal because you know it's sending people to hell it's deceiving people and and people are building their entire faith on this type of idea that god is still speaking to us today. So I, I just bring that all up because I think it is really sad and it's, it's very deceptive. Um, yeah. I mean, second Peter, I did a sermon on second Peter once, uh, talk, uh, the title of it was the scriptures more reliable than your experience essentially. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, P- Peter talks about, um, essentially in second Peter that we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty so like we didn't follow myths, right? Um, he says, uh, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my be- beloved Son with whom I am well ple- pleased. He's essentially saying, hey, we were eyewitnesses of God. We saw him transfigured in his glory on earth, right? Uh, he says, mm-hmm. when we received that, he's, he says, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. They heard God speak directly to them. Right. If anyone wants to know about an experience that anyone had, uh, Peter had best, you know, experience of direct divine revelation that anyone could have. Right. Mm-hmm. But then he says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He, he essentially says in the scriptures, we have something more fully confirmed than even the best experience you've ever come up with. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says you would do well to pay attention to it. Right. So here's the thing. I mean, like uh, scripture is more reliable than in people's experience. And if, and if someone's entire experience is based on mysticism, it'll fall. It'll couple. 
you know, and, and, and that's the thing. That's why we're talking about two different religions is what we're talking about in this kind of podcast. Like just your typical standard, you know, big box evangelicalism kind of charismatic uh, light kind of experience is, is an experience of Christianity that has no substance to it. It's shallow. It will fall and it doesn't help people. That's the problem. You know, they, you know, they go running around all day long talking about all the things that God is telling them. But the problem is when things get actually hard in their life, they have no root in them and they fall away from the faith over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. They're just like the guy you described because it's all based on this, these experiences which are not self-interpreted. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're not self-interpretive. Uh, and they're not going to ground people. They're not going to make them stable in their faith. They're basically just wandering around trying to hear from God, you know, uh, everything that they want to know. And the problem is eventually they're going to make a few calls that were wrong, right? Yeah. Uh, the things that they thought that God was telling them. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come and just like, hey, you know, I thought God wanted me to take the job. And, you know, then I lost my job. And it's just like I don't know what to do anymore. And it's just like, am I cursed? And did I, how do I even know God's speaking to me anymore? And then they don't even want to be a Christian. And that's what we're talking about is because they're grounding their faith in some kind of mystical experience. And it fails them eventually. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's why it's important, you know, cause you're talking about two different religions at that point. And just to go back to that verse that I brought up earlier in my story too. Um, you know, I said that I read Hebrews one to this guy and, and it's right here, right in the beginning of the, uh, right in the beginning of the book, verse one, it says long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. So in that first verse, he's talking about the Old Testament. You know, God spoke to the Israelites through prophets. So God was directly speaking to people. But then in verse 2, it says, In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And, and so it seems pretty clear at that point, you know, he's, he's call the author of Hebrews is calling Jesus the word, right? Just like John, John does at the beginning of, uh, that gospel. And it seems to be pretty clear that, uh, the word is now, uh, the way that God is speaking to us now that Christ has come, died and ascended back into heaven. Is that an accurate, uh, description of that verse? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, if uh, many people who are, you know, convinced of a cessationist kind of position that basically God has uh, finished his speaking, they're going to go to Hebrews 1 and they're going to be talking about Jesus being the pinnacle and the climax of all of uh, God's uh, revelatory acts. And so Jesus himself is the word made flesh who dwells among us, essentially, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so this yeah. divine word is the word who's going to exegete or declare the Father to make him known to us. Uh, Jesus is the pinnacle of that, and so this is one of those passages you say that basically just says that God God had spoken to His people in former ways, and and the whole argument of the Book of Hebrews is that Christ is supreme in every right. way, and so Jesus becomes the you know supreme form of revelation, and that's just one piece in the pot that you put together to build mm-hmm. up the position. But I think that's a significant place to go. That is. Um, God had former ways of speaking, and yeah. in these last days, He's spoken to the Son. Uh, there's a contrast there, right? So, mm-hmm. he, he, but, but in these last days, He's spoken to the Son, uh, whom He's appointed the heir of all things. So there's, right. um, there seems to be some significant difference in the way that He's spoken through Jesus than 
with the others and that gets you know one foot in the right door yeah i think to kind of answer what's going on here yeah it seems like there's a shift but then that does bring me to basically um our our final question that i want i want to just see what you have to say now obviously we've been talking about um script you know scripture is the final word now god god's not speaking directly to us anymore because he doesn't have to but that does i i do have a question you know when it when it comes to how god spoke to the apostles after christ had come died uh been raised from the dead and then ascended into heaven there's still uh a few visions that do happen after after uh you know christ died and ascended um you know the primary examples of this would be um uh you know peter's vision in acts stephen the the first martyr he says he sees he sees god um and then probably the most prominent example would be uh john uh, and his book revelation you know he has several different uh, visions of God throughout that book that make up the book. And, and he's basically giving a, a apocalyptic prophecy um, that whole book. Well, maybe not the whole book, but you know, a large majority of that book. And so, so it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave. Him. Yep. So yeah. The whole thing is a revelation. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, so my question is, you know, if, if God has stopped speaking to us directly, um, once Christ came, then why are we still seeing, uh, ex- you know, examples of, of visions happening? Is, isn't that, shouldn't that at least give us pause to say, you know, Hey, maybe, maybe he is still speaking directly today. Um, so, you know, because it could be if, if we don't understand this correctly, we could accidentally, you know, basically neuter, um, a lot of the old, you know, I mean, not the Old Testament, the New Testament. Yeah, well, I mean, um, the warning of Deuteronomy 18 applies that essentially if God has more words to speak and you're saying he doesn't, then you're, God, God says he will require it of you. So it's just as bad to, you know, erase words that God has as it is to add words, right? So mm-hmm. we shouldn't add or take away. Uh, but yeah, you could add, there's... Um, you know, the whole thing that happens at Acts 2 with Pentecost and the, you know, the, which Peter says it's a fulfillment of your sons and daughters will prophecy, uh, prophesy Joel 2 uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you have that happening post-Pentecost. You have, like, the, Paul says his very words are the words of Scripture. So all the New Testament letters are essentially post-ascension, uh, post you know, words from the Lord, essentially. So that's what the entire New Testament is. And, and right. so... Uh, how do you deal with just the reality that if Jesus is the final word, then how how come there seems to be other direct words after that? And how do we have any kind of rationale as to when they stop? Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, I think it's, um, th- it's, it's not really a difficult question to, ans- uh, to uh, answer as far as that goes. And an easy place, there's a couple of easy places to go, and I'll just uh, talk about them uh, pretty quickly. So, uh, Luke 1, um, 1 through 3, uh, Luke says, In as much as many as undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, uh, 
Uh, it seemed to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you you were taught. So, one of the things that happens is you, you know the gospels are writing uh, the gospel writers are eyewitnesses uh, to uh, the life and ministry of Jesus, right? So, when you think about the gospels proper. You're having a record. Luke tells us that he's compiling this record of all the things that Jesus did and taught, essentially, while he is alive. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, uh, when, when you're dealing with the Gospels, that's what you're looking at. Now, you go to like the beginning of Acts. Uh, Luke, he says in the first book, O Theophilus, that's the book of Luke, right? The Gospel of Luke. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. But then he says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay. So if you think about it this way, before Jesus goes, if you remember what he says to his uh, disciples in the upper room, he says, I still have many more things to teach you, right? He mm-hmm. says, I have many more things to teach you, but you can't bear them uh, right now. But after, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to guide you into all truth, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you have is, if you think about what the New Testament is, the first four books of the Gospels, so they're, they're eyewitness records of all Jesus did and taught while he was alive. But then, after he had given commands to his apostles, to his apostles by the Holy Spirit, whom he was going to send, right? So what happens is, you know, post Jesus's ascension, you have the apostles who are essentially waiting around in you know a room, scared to death, and everything else, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit gives all those additional commands that Jesus had to give to the apostles. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so the entire rest of the New Testament is a record of Jesus's essentially additional commands through the apostles. So the revelation, here's the point, the revelation of Christ came in two phases. It came during his earthly ministry, and then it came in his uh, post-apostolic ministry by the apostles through the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense. So the whole New Testament basically is just this final revelation of God that has come to us in two phases. And so you say, well, what rationale is it for that final, you know, revelation to be done? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Is that kind of the next question that comes to mind? Yeah, yeah. Well, how do we know that he's not still doing it? Well, the, then essentially what you do at that point is you're just building a theology of what an apostle actually is, if that makes sense. So an apostle is, is, a, is a divine, uh, is, is an individual who's divinely chosen by God, who is actually an eyewitness of God's uh, resurrection. So, you know, Paul defines his own test as an apostle at various places within the New Testament. But he says, you know, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the risen Lord? And didn't I do the signs of an apostle among you with much patience? And so basically to be an apostle, basically you're following the old, the pattern of the Old Testament prophets in general. So when God raises up like a prophet like Moses, he gives him certain signs to perform in order to establish him as a prophet. And so with Moses, you know, he had the leprous hand, he had the serpent staff, he turned the water into blood. You know, when he makes his New Testament apostles, it says he gave them signs and wonders to perform, right? He gave them power over all unclean spirit and power to heal every manner of disease. And so they went and they cast out demons and then they healed, they they, uh, were given power over diseases. And when you think about what happened with Paul, such miracles were being done in that day that they could, you know, touch uh, hanker chip from Paul and be healed as far as that goes. And so Paul says, you know, I, I performed the signs of, of an apostle among you with great patience. And so, uh, Paul was established as an apostle of the Lord because he was eyewitness testimony. He performed the signs of an apostle. He was established to be speaking directly from God. By the end of his ministry, he can't even heal 
Timothy anymore. He says, you know, drink some wine for your stomach as far as that goes. And so essentially, if you're going to have new additional prophets, they're going to have to see the risen Lord and have been, been uh, given the signs of an apostle and everything else, if that makes sense. Um, but then, you know, the, the, but you know, you're, you're basically, um, limited as far as the scope of that kind of thing, because, uh, you know, you have a new Testament, Jesus has 12, uh, apostles and then, um, they picked one more by drawing lots and, and the Lord chose Paul directly. But, you know, so essentially part of your argument for cessationists in general, cessationism is dealing with what does it mean to be a New Testament apostle as far as that goes. So, mm-hmm. uh, but essentially what you have happen is the revelation of Christ came in two phases during his earthly ministry and his post-resurrection ministry to the apostles whom he had chosen, as Luke's talked about in verse in Acts. So that's kind of a convoluted, like long answer to the question about how to make it shorter. <laughs> no, I I think that's good. I, I just wanted to ask that because I think it is kind of a natural question. At least it's one that I kind of came to when I was thinking about this topic is how exactly how exactly does the um you know, how exactly does divine inspiration work? How exactly do the visions work and um and yet still we can simultaneously say, hey, God, God's done speaking directly to us because he doesn't have to anymore. So so how exactly does that work together? And I wanted to I wanted to, you know, give you a chance to kind of clear that up for our listeners who might have wondered the same thing. But I, I think that's a good place uh, for us to end on this topic. This has been another episode of Bible Bashed. We hope you've been encouraged and blessed through our discussion we thank you for all your support and ask you to continue to like and subscribe to Bible Bashed and share our podcast with your friends and on social media. Please reach out to us with your questions, pushback, and potential topics for us to discuss in future episodes at BibleBashedPodcast at gmail.com. Now, go boldly and obey the truth in the midst of a biblically illiterate world who will be perpetually offended by your every move. Thank you.